Hey everyone, welcome back to the Check Engine Podcast. It's the only podcast produced by three two-time winners of IMSA's Spirit of the Race Award. We're streaming through Anchor.fm and anywhere that broadcasts podcasts that you want to listen to. My name is Nick. I've got my two co-hosts here, Andrew and Tristan. Guys, uh, I was really fired up about last episode. I thought we did a really good job. I think we have something to live up to there. Like we've got we've got some shoes to fill. That actually was really good. I, I, I enjoyed it, too, even on the listen back. And yeah, I've had people uh, actually approach me and say, hey, I found new stuff to listen to. I'm nice. like, nice. <laughs> my, my wife was giving me her list, and it was all one art. She said I would just pick every Mariana's Trench album. I don't know. Oh, but okay. That's interesting. She usually doesn't interact with me about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Jessica was like, oh, man, Andrew just totally blindsided me with cake. Mm. <laughs> I love that. I just yeah that is a great album yeah. I actually did go through and listen to I didn't get to anyone else's albums because of because you're selfish no because of podcasts oh but <laughs> there are there are a couple podcasts listen to that are like two or three hours in one oh got it because well my drive is so long but anyways um, right right I just didn't get a chance to go to next and I don't know if I want to actually start over and like listen to the whole road trip playlist as we kind of laid it out just by going around mm-hmm. that might be interesting yeah, that could I, be fun. And I will actually build the playlist uh, on Spotify, probably on Apple as well, for anyone who's interested. But it wasn't even just the content part of it for me. Like, the content was good, but, like, we just, we sounded loose. The jokes came easy. We were, the mm-hmm. banter back and forth was good. Like, that, that was a really good episode, so. It must have been a good week. The, the, let's let's the try bar, to do it again. The bar was raised. <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> so, how are we going to, uh, how are we going to top it, Andrew? What are we talking about tonight? Well... Tonight is interesting. Uh, on the Twitter world and everywhere else where anyone talks about cars, we always talk about the best, right? The best of a year, the best of all time. Even we've done it. Most iconic car. We have. We have. Yeah, we've done that. But I think it was about a week ago, Drive Tribe was asking about the most iconic car of the 2000s. And one of the cars they put forward was the Porsche Carrera GT. Okay. And I thought, oh, that's wrong. And I thought that we could do it better. And I thought that we could actually identify iconic cars for every decade that we care about. Or could even take a stab at judging. Right. Yeah. You know, if you pick something like the 1910s uh, Model T. Yeah, Model A, is Model it, T, does whatever it, it was. Does it start? <laughs> Fine, that one. Is it a horseless carriage? Yeah. The car? Yeah. Okay. No, no. So, so um, we thought that we could put together a list of cars that are the most iconic car of a decade, starting in post-war, starting in 1950. So we're looking for the car that is most emblematic of motoring in that decade. So that could really mean a bunch of different things, but whether it's performance, technology, looks, style, appeal, the legend of the car itself, that's all useful information, but we're just going to pick one for each decade. Yeah, that was my, that was how I approached it was, you know, what is the word that kept floating through my my for my hat here is here's your you know million dollar word for the day quintessential spell it uh, I don't want to I don't think that it doesn't count the word of day calendar it's quint it's quint essential Q U I N T E S S E N T I A L Nicholas boom I can I didn't want to but you made me <laughs> I don't have an explosion sound oh. you have the applause don't you <laughs> Hey, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you. Well done. <laughs> I love that guy at the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, 
Yeah, so the way I thought about it was, like, just pick a day, like the 80s, whatever. So if everything that happened in the 80s, the mindset of people in the 80s, mm. what, what the culture was, if you could roll all that up and mold it into a car. Oh, he picked the Tesla Rosa. I did not. <laughs> what, car would, what car would it be? That's how I went about doing this. And so, yeah, so we're starting in the 50s and going up to uh, modern era. So it's in 2010. Yeah, 20, yeah we're, we're almost out of the first, you know, 10 decades. So um, it's going to be interesting, I think. It's going to be fun. But before we do that, as always, who has a pace lap? I have one that's fresh and hot. Apparently, I haven't heard of this yet. This yeah, is gonna this be, is, I'm going to be finding out live I'm anxious. on the podcast. This is interesting. This is news from oh, sorry, from Nick's former racing interest. That's right. Uh, Corvette <laughs> racing. Who? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ow. Magnuson is leaving Corvette racing. Oh, that's not new. Yeah, it is. It's official now. That's been that's been out there for weeks. But it's official now. He's actually gone. RIP. Yep. In peace. And uh, supposedly Jordan Taylor is taking his place. That is our, supposedly our, our very uh, great follow on social media. Jordan Taylor is gonna get a factory ride. Who's Rodney Sandstorm gonna drive for? Nah. I was just don't give me that. <laughs> I was just impressed with how much was done. In Corvette Racing by Magnuson. Magnuson I mean, was a stalwart there. Yeah. 15 years, I want to say? 16 years. Ooh. Spec he, he, I mean, he's got the stats. 156 starts, 35 wins, four champs. And two Le Mans wins or three? Uh, two. Yep, two. No, sorry. God. So wrong. One in the Rolex 24. Four at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Whoa. Class wins. He's definitely got the... the the resume and he said he's not done racing he's he's got to look he's obviously looking for other options but there's an open seat in dpi or should be <laughs> wait till racing just, just a ride swap <laughs> i mean there there are worse things i think actually it's that vision of them like walking past each other and just throwing each other their keys and then <laughs> that, would be that would be a dope promo actually um wayne taylor had said in an interview that the only driver they have locked in is um, one of Toyota's WEC drivers, Kamui Kobayashi, for, oh, yeah. for the Rolex. Yeah. That's the only driver they have locked in. Both seats are open. They don't think Van de Zand or Jordan Taylor are coming back. Wow, okay. And actually, one of the guys tabbed to take the place is Ryan Briscoe. Ryan Briscoe was, I guess you can call like a castaway now that the Ford GTLM program is wrapped up. The Ford GT program. So he is actually tabbed to be the first driver that Wayne Taylor is going to sign. So... Um, it feels like there's been a lot of stability in like the top ranks of IMSA for a while. Well, I mean, starting with Scott Atherton too. Like, there's now suddenly a bunch of turmoil, even on like the administrative side, all the way over to drivers. I, mean, I, I don't know if a guy retiring is turmoil, but I mean, it kind of is though because it can 16, cause it at least 16 years too. Yeah, and he's done great things. And 16 years coming back, all in a brand new car, brand new chassis, brand new moment in automotive history. Yep. For American brands as a whole, especially you know Chevy, but this is a, an entirely new thing. There's just it seems like you know I guess I haven't really looked at it, but there is a lot of various change mm -hmm. in IMSA right now. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Twenty twenty, uh, his replacement, um, Atherton's replacement, John Doonan, ran the Mazda program for fifteen decade and a half, I would say, and. 
everyone is saying you couldn't have picked a better person to take the role. Mm -hmm. You could, and all of his accolades and how good of a person, like just a human being, forget the business, all this kind of stuff. And I'm cool with that. My one concern is he has said all the time he grew up dreaming of working for Mazda and working for Mazda was his dream job. Is he, my concern is, is he not far enough removed yet? Like he's supposed to be completely subjective in this role. You know, he just got out of the dream job that he's wanted to work since he was 10 years old. Yeah. Like, can he be like I would be interested to see what what happens to Mazda in the in the BOP? See, you I, know, coming up. I I gotta say I honestly think that's well, my hopes would be that that would be small potatoes to a guy who has realized his life stream. You know what I mean? When you yeah. achieve something that you've wanted for a long time, and you reach the pinnacle of that achievement. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Winning races and winning seasons and championships, even right. Um, did they win? I don't know if Mazda won a championship. I mean, they they won the uh, the six hour. That was their big one this year yeah. at the Glen. We were yeah. there for that. I don't I don't remember what the points standings look like. Um, the the Acura won the season championship this year. Yeah, Penske's they car. Did. And the manufacturer. Uh, I think Cadillac just by strength in numbers. They yeah, have that's six. Just, of the oh, six that's right. That's right. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> Still, I mean, I guess it. I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I I look forward to it. Um. It wasn't a name I expected. Like when I read it, I was like, oh, okay. It could have been, I, well, you know, obviously not being that tapped in. It could have been literally anybody, and I would have been like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds that, great. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> I know him. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. But yes, plenty of changes coming to IMSA over the offseason. <laughs> it's, what, about 100 days till the Rolex 24? It's going to be. Uh, yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah. it's gonna be a busy hundred days. Sorry, on the on the subject of the IMSA championship, I totally forgot about this. Uh, Acura, of course, did win, so we have given him ribbings on this show before for being a chunky boy, even though he's really not. <laughs> <laughs> Juan Pablo Montoya is the 2019 IMSA championship uh, champion. Uh, so he added that to the 99 Indian car, uh, Indian car, 99 <laughs> Indy car championship. <laughs> Uh, two Indy 500s, 15 IndyCar wins, 2003 Grand Prix Monte Carlo wins, seven F1 wins, two NASCAR Cup wins, three Rolex 24s, and the 2017 Race of Champions. Yeah, he's a stud. He drives good. He good. Best, best of <laughs> what, like, short list best of his generation. Yeah. Like, that's and, a lot. An all-rounder, too. Yeah. It wasn't just in one thing. It Stock wasn't car, like, open wheel, sports car. Like we we talk about Dixon being great all the time, fifty some wins. That's in one series. Like he's done. He's top step in everything he's tried. Crazy. Yeah. Totally crazy. Well, he can he can celebrate with an extra plate of wings. Oh. <laughs> Congrats, Juan. And his co-driver. If he ever uh, hears this. Him. <laughs> and his co-driver. Uh, Juan's co-driver. Dane Cameron. <laughs> Dane Cameron, shout out to Dane Cameron. It's funny if he ever hears this. Who was a multi-time champ? Now. <laughs> Juan Pablo Montoya. Just talk, he just called him a chunky boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's not though. No, not He's really. He's not though. Tony Stewart is. Yeah. Juan yes. Pablo Montoya is not. <laughs> no. He's not some beanpole Taylor brother. Yeah. No, yeah. Exactly, but exactly. <laughs> but but dude can drive. Yes. We'll say that much. Oh yeah. Yeah, Juan, if somehow you hear this, come on the show, man. Eat wings with us. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And give um, us some driving tips. 
I I have one totally unrelated pace life that's been bothering me. Okay. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> so I was driving to work the other day. Do you guys know the um, like internet adage of Poe's Law? Yes. Heard of it. I'm not too familiar with the definition, but I've heard it. The basic thing is uh, the more ridiculously, ridiculously parodic something is, the harder to tell, the harder it is to tell. I can't talk tonight. The harder it is to tell whether or not it's authentic. Okay. So basically, it comes from a guy saying, you know, you can make no statement about creationism that's so parodic it couldn't be taken as authentic. So basically, the more ridiculous, the harder it is to tell. Okay. So I have this license plate. I was driving behind this car. Okay. And the license plate was this. 360-SPN. That's really strong in the Poe's Law area to me. 360 spin? Or <laughs> was it random? Oh, that's a good one. I know. I don't know. I've thought about that every day since I saw it. <laughs> so just one t- tiny... What kind of car was it? Honda Civic. New? Uh, new-ish, like the last gen. Okay. One tiny pace lap. Um, I, speaking of, of license plates, it reminded me of this. There was a Honda Accord uh, V6 with the license plate 6-speed man. 6-S-P-D-M-A-N. <laughs> I mean, a new one? Yeah. Okay, well, that, yeah, that makes sense. actually good. But not his. Oh, right, because that's a V6. <laughs> so, so I'm like driving up next to him and I'm like... Maybe he didn't have a chance to renew yet? Yeah, maybe. It was because it, it was funny because, you know... Or he's trying to call himself a superhero? He was coming up to the stoplight and then like we take off and I've got the standard... Unless you're going to absolutely flog your car, manual cars don't progress smoothly off of the line in first mm-hmm. and second necessarily, especially mine. Um and, and he just kind of wafts away, and I'm like, okay, either this guy is great, or that's not a six-speed car. Right. And I like, I saw that, I was like, then I was curious. So I went and looked and kind of leaned my head over, trying to see the center <laughs> console, like, uh, can I see it from here? And yeah, it's an automatic, and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I mean, I guess we could assume that maybe he's become a family man that's upgraded from his old SI... To the to Accord, Accord V6. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. Or maybe that was the car that, or the plate that used to be on his Miata. If that mm. came in six speed. Yeah. Older yeah. One. yeah. I don't even know. But yeah, it was just, I, I, you know, it's, I, there are, there's definitely sentimental value to license plates. Like I've got a coworker who still has, she managed to score REX for her WRX. Yeah. Just Rex. Wow. That's it. Um, and she still has it, even though it's on a 3 Series now. <laughs> so, you know. Look at the growth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it's just, you know, it's not that, like I'm not making fun of them, but I'm like, just, like, I have to know. I have to know if I'm just being schooled this badly in driving a manual transmission because I'm like, huh, uh, huh, here we go. And, like, just wafts away. Speaking of growth, <coughs> have either of you seen uh, the Hyundai Grappler concept? Is that the Veloster? The off, off-road, yeah, off-road Veloster. Veloster. Yeah. And this deeply distressing paint hack job that they've done. <laughs> if you zoom in on this picture, this is not good work. <laughs> they clearly photoshopped in 
Really? Yes. It's so it's so heinous. For a press release? Yes. Well, I mean, it's just like, you know, if there was such a thing as an opera blaster, this may be what it looks like. Oh. I cannot stand to look at it because it distresses me so much. Yeah, it looks like something that a kid did in like eighth grade computer lab. It's a hatchet job. It's so it's really Yeah, bad. like grappler like yeah, the the, the side emblem for grappler and uh, like and on the on the crash bar in the yes. front oh yeah. that's the worst one <laughs> although i would like we'll, a, have, we'll have to post this so i would like a hyundai with, you did already with uh with rock sliders on it that'd be fun that that i love the concept they will never put this in the, pr- in no. the production no. but i support the dream but hyundai you you have enough money to pay some freaking youtuber for a better shop than this. Either that or just hire someone better in the graphics art, graphic arts department. It doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Paint. Microsoft Paint. Microsoft Paint. <laughs> responsible Definitely. for this. The, the, the freehand tool. Yeah. I think this might have been made in Mario Paint. <laughs> Anyways, let's, let's get going. Let's get into it. So we're going decade by decade, starting in the 50s. To today, so everybody should bring seven cars, mm-hmm. and we are going to pick the quintessential, to use Tristan's term, car of each decade. I'm assuming there's going to be some overlap. I would think so. Yeah, there's some. What was the hardest decade for you to pick? Uh, the last decade, so the first decade of the 2000s. Really? Yes. 90s were also kind of hard because it's hard to know. Like, we are in the era now where we're making a decision about the true car legacy of the 90s. 90s. What's the classics and what's not, what's not? And kind of going beyond that, we're now far enough away from it to say what worked and what didn't. What truly has a legacy and what was kind of flashing the pan. Right, and, and I, you know, especially when you go decade by decade, I, I don't think I was afraid to pick cars that they were quintessential for that decade. And we might now be fully able to admit that they were garbage. Yes. But it, yeah. it but it was the essence of that decade, in in one way or another. So sure. mine, I didn't choose almost anything nice a lot a lot <laughs> a lot of times. So we'll, we'll get there. But it's just you know, just what's most that decade. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. For me, it was the '60s. What? There was a lot of really really good cars in the '60s. There were a lot of cars that have a lot of emotional baggage attached to them. There were very few really good cars in the 60s. There was a lot of there was a lot of classic iconic cars that came out of the 60s. I thought that one was super easy, honestly. I, I actually I didn't even consider any other car than the one I picked. Didn't even think about it. Should be interesting to see what you think. Yeah, me neither actually. Mm-hmm. Um, 70s are hard for me. Because it was all trash. Because it was yeah, garbage. Yeah, it was all garbage. There wasn't a whole lot of It was all like this hangover from the 60s trying to cram its way into the oil crisis, and it was just not great. Yeah, so, anyways, let's, let's enough talk about it. Let's, let's get to it. it. We're going to start as far back as we can. We're going to start with the 50s and work our, work our way up. Yeah, uh, I, I'll just I'll kick it kick off. Kick it off. Go. I, mean, I thought a lot about what other people would have told me to pick out of the 50s. And I I have a guess at what Nick might have picked. I think we all do. But for me, when it came down to the era in total. 
the car that most represents what people think about when they think of cars in the 1950s. So it's Chevy Bel Air. Yeah. You too? Yeah. 57 Chevy. Me three. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, because I think that, yeah, that embodies everything about that era in cars. I think to the point, I think my dad brought it up where like it was so quintessential in America that it bled out to everywhere. Yeah. Like BMW put fins on their car because of the 57 Chevy, more or less. Right. People were yeah. calling it the Bel Air. It was known as the Chevy. Even though yeah. Chevy made way more models than just the Bel Air. People I thought just, you might make an argument for Corvette there. I figured that's what you thought I was going to pick. Yeah. I thought that's what you thought. But here's the thing. I thought I was going to pick. But here's the thing about the Corvette. It didn't, like, the first gen Corvette was the only time that they had that body style. It really didn't begin to take shape and become the Corvette as, well, at least we used to know it as until this most recent update. Um, until the 60s. True. In the 50s, it was just a new car. That, it that, kind of looked like a Bel Air. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was just a new car that General Motors was trying out. And if I remember correctly, there were the trim levels of that. It was like the Bel Air was actually a trim level. It was like the 150, the Chevy 150, yeah, yeah. Chevy 250, Chevy Bel Air. And it was like, it didn't even have a number. It was just like, this is the trim level. Yeah. Yeah, it had the giant, the biggest fins. And it, it was pretty hot for the time too like i was it, it got hot rotted yes. but even from the factory it was putting like to almost 300 horsepower down in the 50s like 290 something i thought it also it weighed probably seventy four thousand. right pounds, but still but that's a lot for when you're looking at when you're looking at you know motors that we hadn't reached the point in engineering where the compression ratios are really high and yeah. no forced induction and everything you know carbureted and everything else it's like I mean, yeah. this, the shape of this thing is, is still just stunning. I, you know, I hate these cars, these old cars, but the shape of this is so stunning to me. And I always wonder how reductionist you could get with the shape where people wouldn't understand. And yeah, really how think, far can you, yeah. I think if you went profile, outlined only the headlights, the front grille, the line of the top of the roof, and the line of the tail, and then put the sil a silver stripe leading from the headlight that flared out at the back, like the two-tone white area, mm -hmm. I think people would get it. Yeah. I really think that. Oh, totally. It's like, yeah, imagine you're designing a logo and you want to use the 57 Chevy as a logo. How few stitches can you put it on a shirt? Yeah, I really <laughs> think you could, you wouldn't even have to include anything underneath that line that yeah. goes on the side of the car. Yeah, underneath the middle of the door. No, no. not at all. Well, at the same time, that would be, it would be enough, but even the way, in, in my mind, the 57 Chevy, even, something that pops out is even the way the wheels sit in the wheel well. Yeah. To me is, I, I think, I'm not an old car person. Does, I have a, does it have a purposeful stance? Well, I mean, <laughs> yes. Um, the funny thing is, actually, almost no. No, it doesn't. It, does, <laughs> no, it really doesn't. Yeah. Um, but, but it just uh, looks good. Yeah. And that's, I'm, not, I'm not very much of an old car person either. I couldn't really tell you many of them. And I think that speaks for the fact that I know as much as I know about the 57 Chevy means that it is kind of that car for that decade. And it's a popular choice, and usually it's like, ah, there's got to be something better out there. And I just sat there looking and didn't find it. Me neither. Not so, at all. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, people are going to tell me I want to like this. They're going to tell me this is the best one. There's got to be something better, and there just wasn't. No. So that was an easy round. That was an easy one. <laughs> that was easy. Bel Air it is from the 50s. 
Moving up to the 60s. Andrew, you want to keep going, or do you want someone, can, yeah, or want to, want someone else to kick it off? No, no, no. Uh, I mean, we have talked about this car at pretty extreme length before. Uh, I think it's the obvious choice out of the 60s. I won't rehash everything we said about it in our Most Iconic Car of All Time episode. I believe this is the number two finisher, the Mustang. 64 and a half Mustang. That, that, was, my, uh, that was my number two pick for the 60s. You had something that beat that. Yeah. I, I do as well, I believe. Yeah, well, and that's why I said the 60s is so hard, because there's so many, like, heavyweight cars in the world of car dumb. From, so you had car the, dumb. <laughs> you, had the, you had the Mustang. The E-Type was in the 60s. You had, I mean, there's just loads of them, but when you think of what the 60s were, it was counterculture. It was sex, drugs, rock and roll. It was hippies. It was, um, you know, the Beatles. And... What rolls? What? Where does that all roll up to? I I don't. I think it's it's pretty obvious. It's the Beetle. Hmm. I was I was headed down a very similar track, um. And I rolled up to the bus. I thought someone Ooh. was going to do bus. I thought someone was going to do bus. But that falls into honorable mention status for me because okay. because we when you talk about those things, it's like okay, sure, you think of. 60s, you know, counterculture, hippies, but it's counterculture. By definition, that's not the prevailing culture at the time. Yes. So it's what people remember, but if you look at it from even within that decade, if you were a person in that decade, that was something a bunch of crazy people out in California were doing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the prevailing culture in the country at the time. Okay. You know, um, so... I actually went with the fourth generation Chevrolet Impala. Uh, I can't even. I can't even picture nope. it. Um, it. It's not overall tremendously unique. Um, I, I think it looks good. I was actually surprised um, as I was scrolling through, um, but the you know this classic '60s car. It's about four miles long. It has a trunk. As many of our parents will tell you, you can have a picnic inside of uh-huh. um, big greenhouse. But the the biggest thing is that it was just it has this like weird semi fastback on it. Um, I think it looks pretty good for what was just a family sedan. But again, I didn't pick the most exciting. I picked kind of like what was the summation of everything. So you could not get this car in anything other than a V eight unless you got. The engine name, named the Turbo Thrift in line six. <laughs> um, and it came with everything from a two-speed automatic to a four-speed manual. Wow, okay. So, so, so glide. Yeah. yeah. So just thinking about America at that time, it was, you know, the height of technology was a four-speed manual, <laughs> you know, um, or or on the flip side, that that two-speed automatic right. or three-speed automatic. Oof, there you go. Um, but interesting fact that I found while I was looking at it is that it has set a single model sales record, never to have ever been beaten since. It sold right. over a million cars in one year. Okay. Which is just wow. It's just. Interesting to me. What year? Uh, the I believe the first year it came out, um, sixty five. Sixty five. So right in the heart of the sixties, mm-hmm. it sets a sales record of one million mo- uh, units moved 
and that has not been beaten since, even with the increase in per-household car ownership and everything else. I think it says a lot about how that particular car resonated with our country at the time. Now, I think, did it have as wide of an influence? You know, probably not, but I'm speaking from what I know, which is at least this country and a part of its history. Not being a European, I couldn't tell you which Citroen or whatever else was popular in the 60s. Right. But, so that was that was my pitch. Um, yeah, we probably should have qualified. It's American culture. I, I, was not, I was not looking just in America. Right. I, well, I wasn't either, but I feel like, especially directly post-war, that's that edge that we always say America squandered that lead. Sure. You know, right post-war, America was setting the tone in automobile production. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, especially early on, I'm heavy in the... In the American car early on. Yeah, it is a it is the culture that we're also most familiar with. So there's regional bias. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You get what you pay for, and you didn't pay anything for this podcast. So you get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what we have here is basically uh, the numbers with the Impala, the remembrance of the cultural impact of the Beetle, and the well, frankly, American bias of the Mustang. Is basically what it comes down to. Right. Because the legacy of the Beetle, as we've already talked about, not to go through all this again, far outstretches the total reach of the legacy of the Mustang. Right. But that means it's also less centered in the 60s. It's, yeah, it's less, it's less uniquely 60s and more, you know, most iconic car ever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's good. It is spread across at least, at least three of those generations. So, I don't Yeah, know. but that's when it, be, that's when it came to prominence. You know, that's when it was... That is absolutely true. I mean, that's when when people think... Like, when people think of the 1960s, they don't think of an Impala. They may think of a Mustang. I'm sure a lot of them do. But here's the thing. What you got to remember is it's not that... It's not that they stopped making the Beetle a little while ago. They just stopped last year. Right. So it's not It's not. And that, they haven't stopped making the Mustang. But it's... So... But it's not that... Yes, that is correct. Two separate issues here. So it's not that Americans don't think of the 60s when they see a Beetle. It's just that everyone else in the world, not everywhere else, a lot of other places in the world, especially in more populous, impoverished countries, wouldn't think of the 60s when they see a Beetle. They would think, oh, that's a brand new car. Oh, that's Mike's new car. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's one argument. The second one would be, uh, what did you say about the Mustang? Yes, they do still make the Mustang. Even when people talk about the Mustang, they think of this one before even when, they think of the Even when one. Ford thinks of the Mustang, they think of this one. Well, they get such a boner for this one, the 64. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of a movie called Blink? <laughs> <laughs> but no. It, I, yeah, it's your favorite movie. Yeah, it is my favorite movie. But uh, again, this is the same exact argument we had about the Mustang in, uh, in, the, in the iconic car. Yeah, and, and the Beetle, too. So I think the solution, in all honesty, is I didn't know about the million cars sold in a year. I do think that's impressive for the Impala, so I will vote for the Impala. If for no other reason, then, that has to be, it explains something to me. That has to be the reason why anyone would have bought an Impala from 1966. Yes, exactly. All the way up to 2019. You, you, you bought one, or you were given your parents, or you bought your parents... In like 1975, yes, you bought a '64 Impala because there were a zillion of them around. Uh-huh. And then 20 years later, in the 90s or 30 years later, in the early 2000s, you're like, "I love that car when I was a kid," and you bought one. 
So why can't you make that argument for the Beatle? You can. You can. So that was that was not the, that the, was the, not that was not why it was the choice for the sixties. It was a separate tangent as to oh, why okay. the relatively crummy, most recent not most recent Paul. Those ones are actually pretty good, weirdly enough. Um, the you know the police car Impalas yeah, yeah, yeah. were terrible, and so many people bought them, and we don't understand why. The Impala was bad for. <laughs> 30 years, yeah, <laughs> and people continued to buy it enough to buoy Chevy as a brand, which is insanity. Because <laughs> that car was trash. And, and, and so, I mean, that actually explains the thing to me. So, I will vote for that car for no other reason than it gave me clarity on something about car culture that I never understood. There was an opaque area around the Impala. Like, why would any, why does he, why does anyone even look at this? Right. And what, I, and what I tried to do is. I know that we are in this time, but I tried to take all of my choices, kind of tried to be, if you were in this decade, or like just the one right after, like in the 70s, what was the 60s car that everybody was sure. just, was, was still talking about? And you know, there were a million. I feel like it was the Impala, but that was... I think I think people will still talk about and we're still thinking of the Beetle as the car of now all the way through the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, you know, forever, which makes it great and iconic and interesting, but not the most iconic of just this decade. And I, I, I'll get back to this, I promise, because I have another one that's like that. And I made the same decision as to why I didn't choose that one then either. So I will hopefully make you feel better, I guess. I don't know. Because I was I had another one later that was like, oh, I should choose this one. But I shouldn't because it's the same across multiple decades. It doesn't make it iconic to one decade. So fair, I mean, fair enough. It's a democracy. Indeed. I'll, I'll take the L, but I don't agree. Whatever. You don't have to. That's okay. <laughs> 70s. 70s. I, I was struggling in the 70s until I yes. remembered something very critical. There was a small company called Toyota that introduced a car to America called the Corolla in the 60s. However, 66 that car came to America. By 1974, it was the best-selling car worldwide and has remained that ever since. Worldwide, yes. Worldwide, yes. Yes. And so my pick for the 70s, because of that rapid rise to prominence and staying power, I mean, the 70s is what made that part, made that whole company, I think the Corolla is the car of the 70s. Yeah, I think when taken as a worldview, I think that's fair. Um, I was going to stick with um, total garbage, because... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Listen, the, the 70s were kind of a wasteland for me. Mm -hmm. The best I could come up with were, knowing what we know now, they are total garbage. But, <laughs> but, but it was a toss-up between, like, the Pinto and the Vega. Because oh, it was God. like, because it, yes. was, it was the world, those to me encompass the world trying to deal with the oil crisis, but still have things be fun. Yeah. And yeah. the Corolla just said, hey, I got a better answer. Let's just be a Corolla. Yes. And it's not fun, but check this out. Look at how little gas it uses. Um, and check this out. 
Your neighbor bought the Pinto, but your car started this morning. And it doesn't explode. <laughs> There's also that. Yeah. A small risk of fire damage. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I was like, you know, which one is quintessentially 70s despite being terrible? The fire death? Yeah, it is. It is what everybody thinks of. Um, you know, but it was just like, I didn't have a good option. So I was trying to decide between one of those. I did go with the Pinto, um, but it's wrong. It's the wrong choice, and I know this already. <laughs> it's a funnier choice. It's a funnier choice. <laughs> so we got Pinto. We've got a Corolla. I'm kind of on board with Tristan here. Like picking anything in the '70s was just like what was the least bad, basically. So um, when I when I think of the '70s, it was flamboyancy. You know, disco was popular, bell-bottom pants, crazy dress, um, and also Smokey and the Bandit. Mm. So I picked the Firebird. You went with the hot chicken. I went with the hot chicken, the Pontiac Firebird. <laughs> the Flaming Chicken. <laughs> the Flaming Chicken, especially in that black with the uh, gold trim. Yep. Yep. That's the classic. But wasn't that the 80s version? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Honestly, I, I don't know anything about... No, it wasn't, yeah. It was it was the 70s. Late 70s, but it was the 70s. Yeah, that's the funny thing, is that um, a lot of the things that I thought of as like the iconic car of a decade yeah. actually started like two years in the previous decade. That's yeah. Kind of that works. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of yeah. weird. <laughs> but, I mean, so... Really that's, how, I, that's actually how my next pick is. So really what it comes down to is... A Burt Reynolds movie, a meme, or the car that actually was impactful from that decade. <laughs> well, impactful and embodying the decade are two different things. I think that that's true, but I also think that because both of you, when you talk 70s, mentioned Malay's era and gas prices. Yes. The Corolla looked at both those things and went, yup, and then became the best-selling car in the world. Yeah, in in spite of that. Uh huh. And then stayed. I mean, the staying power is impressive. Obviously, that that's kind of the thing. This era makes the Corolla a bad but reasonable argument for every decade from here on out. It fits better in some areas than others. It's just the fact that it continues to sell so much. And that's kind of why. I'm... Yeah, and but yeah, on the flip side though. Then we have the same argument we ran into with the Beetle. True. This is the era it came to prominence, but because, and that's. I'll, I'll spoil this right now. That's was my fight against ever choosing the Camry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was the, you know, the, okay, it was great in the 90s, and it is still the number one selling car in America this year. Yeah. Like, that means it's not iconically any one decade. It just means that Americans like buying the same thing over and over again. True. And it's an easy choice. And I don't know if that means it embodies a decade or not. And that's that's where I was going with what I was going to foreshadow with you, Nick, is that you know I made the same choice with the Beetle that I made with the Cambry in my own head. So in my mind, the Corolla is in kind of the same boat. I don't know. I do think the context is different, though, simply because you named the Pinto as a car that literally saw the Corolla out of the 60s, mm-hmm. late 60s, and tried to emulate it and failed. And same with the Dodge Omni, and same with all of those other little shitty American cars from the 70s, 
and all of British Leyland for its entire existence. Yes. <laughs> and all, all of those other manufacturers, I mean, it's, it's, I think the context puts the Corolla ahead of even a car like the Beetle in its time, simply because it succeeded exactly where everyone else not only tried, but also just, it just, it just didn't work right. Which, which, is a, which could be fair, that could be a, actually a, a point in the Corolla's favor, um, because, because it was that watershed moment in what car design and car aspirations were, um, it changed things, whereas the Beetle was kind of its own microcosm forever. And created a whole segment that's, yeah. well, maybe not anymore because of SUVs, but was one of the most hotly contested segments for, again, 20 or 30 years. It just, everyone went after specifically the Corolla. Yeah, and I think it's started, when we get to the next decade, my choice is, yeah, I think, one of the few rebuttals to small Japanese cars. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that it, there needed to be a rebuttal because this was kind of the, between the early Corollas and the early early Civics also right. um, were kind of hand, you know, right hand, left hand of this one-two punch of Japan coming in and just I'm really trying their best to decimate the... Uh, the American car manufacturing. But you know what? Yeah. That's actually a good point against the Corolla. The Civic was there too. And while they may, you know, be sort of mentally interchangeable, they are two distinct cars that both did the same thing equally well. But if there's another one, if there's another car like the Corolla, can it really be the most iconic of the decade? Uh, hmm. I, know, I think I just took a different approach to this where like my whole thing was like, if you were to ask someone think of a car from the 70s like think you know like the first thing that pops to your head that's kind of how I went about making my decisions so I mean your your logic isn't wrong mm -hmm. like none of what you're saying is incorrect I don't disagree with any of it I'm just from where I'm coming from does it embody what the 70s were I don't think so I think it might embody I think this is a very similar discussion to what we had with the Impala. I think it might have discussed, might have uh, described what the seventies were, yes, and not what we think they were. It was the reality versus um, a Burt Reynolds meme. Burt Reynolds <laughs> meme. What, 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 yeah. Really, what it comes down it, to, right? I mean, in your case, versus the kind of what pop culture has brought forward from that decade. Mm -hmm. I think as we move into the eighties, I think we're going to see a lot more of that from the, my pick also. Like, everybody's going to say, well, it's any car that's driven by someone who did a ton of cocaine. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think that's the that's the 80s car that pops to mind for a lot of people. Um, you know, but I, I went a different way with it. I think that the 70s is very similar. I think we think of, we think of the oil crisis and a lot of what we try to think of are either American cars that were crushed because of it and they pop right to mind. Yes. Or things that were trying to fly... In the face of the oil crisis, like you know, like the Firebird, yeah, and to a certain extent succeeded. You know, just, that just, is true. You know, despite all of that, they succeeded and they stuck out because of the environment they were in. But what people, you know, this is when that weird shift happened, where you know every third house in a neighborhood 
suddenly had a Japanese car in the driveway. Mm -hmm. And then every other house in the neighborhood had a Japanese (laughs) car in the driveway. And that was the reality, I think, for a lot of people um, at that time. And again, that's I think. That's That's from the research that I had done. I couldn't find the right car to fulfill that, but I was looking from the other way all the cars I was reading about were, and this was the American auto industry's attempt to fight the influx of Jap- of small Japanese cars, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I never found out which Japanese cars those were. Because of, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I don't know if, again, I don't know if it was region bias or the fact that I'm not a huge fan of those cars. I sure. just didn't care. <laughs> but I think that's something that... It was a change. And it was a big one. And it's one we're still feeling today. Versus the Beatle was something that the world at large never stopped feeling from the 1950s, even the 40s in some cases, 1950s for sure, all the way to a year ago. Yeah. You know, And it, it didn't really shake the automobile industry from top to bottom like Japanese cars did. And you have the deciding vote. Tristan. I know. I know. <laughs> he's talking himself uh, It sounds like he's talking into himself into, into Corolla. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. I'm trying to find <laughs> I'm trying to find any problems. And I, I think I gotta go with the Corolla. Nailed it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Out of the 80s. This is actually Cocaine. This is actually the first time I genuinely struggled simply because you're really spoiled for choice. Whether you want to go with good cars, important cars, or cocaine cars, <laughs> they're all pretty much the same. <laughs> so, obviously, everybody knows that I love the F40, but it's not my pick here. My pick for the 80s is the Porsche... far away as mine. ...is it's the not. Porsche 959. Okay, yeah, it's not... <laughs> Because as much as I love the F40 and prefer it uh, in in my heart and... Do you know how fast it didn't go? And hotly in my loins. <laughs> as much as I prefer it over the 959. When you look at the reality of what wasn't yet the true supercar, but would shortly become the true supercar in the 90s, right. the 959 did it better. The F40 was the first car 200 and... It was just a shell with an engine inside of it. Yeah. It wasn't like a... No. It wasn't. <laughs> it, it wasn't. Whatever you're going to say, it wasn't that. Yeah. <laughs> but the 959 was a regular it was car. car. It was an actual car. That was unbelievably fast and had four-wheel drive and leather seats and air conditioning and... Probably even heated leather. You know, Porsche put all of their technology and all of their might into this car, and they wouldn't do this again until the 2000s. So it's so iconic simply because while I think it's a shape that people recognize, they may not know exactly what it is Mm -hmm. because it looks like a 911, but it also isn't. But it so much isn't. So much isn't. So, uh, yeah, I, I just picked a 959 simply because... It is really, really good and really important for car culture. It's a really good pick. Um, and that's, that's, I kind of agree with you on the 80s. You've got the 959, you've got the F40, you've got the Testarossa, you've got all these 
all these cars that came to light in this decade. It's a, it's a decade of excess. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I was thinking this is like this is like the this is the decade of bedroom wall poster cars. And for me, the Countach was on more bedroom walls, a better representation of excess than than any car in in the 80s. And as far as just performance goes, yeah, the 959 was better, but in the in the German way, it was very subtle about it. Yes. The Countach was anything but subtle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think it has ever heard the word subtle. No, no. And it was, it was also... Too, it was too busy being very loud. And garbage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> From all reports, I've never driven one. I've I love that the, the, barely even been around one. I love the story that, like, the wing actually makes it worse. Yes. It and they left it on because it needed well, it was optional. Well, the, 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 <laughs> like an add-on. You can order yeah, it. Yeah, but, they, but they left that as an option even though it made the car worse because it looked better. So it made the car it does Italians, look better. man. Yeah. It does look way better. It looks way better with the spoiler on the back. They're not wrong. <laughs> so those Italians know their design. <laughs> if anything else. And I know you're not going to choose my pick. Okay. Based on what you guys have already chosen. Our minds can be changed. I don't think they're going to change this far. Okay. Okay. Uh, because although the 80s were a period of, you know, bedroom wall poster supercars. You picked and the Quattro. No, I did not. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I was okay. going to say, you picked the Quattro. Even, even worse. Um, so, again, I'm choosing... Uh, I'm, I'm, nope. Mm. Keep guessing. I'm choosing things that I don't even like. I would never choose as my favorite car from this decade. But I really do think they embody the decade. Yes, the decade of bedroom posters, people doing cocaine off the spoiler of the Countach, all sorts of things that are very 80s. It was fun, you really missed out. Pastel suits. However, I picked the fucking DeLorean. No. (laughs) So, what else was it the decade of? When did, what started in the 1980s? My life? Yes. (laughs) CNN? Mall culture. Pac-Man? Mall... Okay, okay, sure, mall culture. So is it a car that's going to show up in a mall? I mean, it could be. Mostly, it would be one that showed up outside a mall. Minivan? Are you saying minivan? The Dodge Dodge Caravan? The Dodge Caravan, Plymouth Voyager Twins. Damn, dude. Damn, dude. Because, again, I'm not saying these are great. I'm not saying these are my favorite cars. But it... Literally, the next thing to unseat the minivan was the crossover. Yes. It was the defining... Like five years ago, too. Yeah, the defining car. It was one of the first instances, aside from people out in rural counties driving their pickup trucks as daily drivers because they had to. It's one of the first examples of something that was both a trade vehicle and, you know, mom took 18,000 kids to soccer with it. And it kind of embodies that, you know, more, weirdly more involved family that America was developing in the 80s, I feel like. It didn't reach the epitome, at least until now. What, sorry, what like, year did that come out? Uh, I believe it is the 84. 
Damn, that's so much earlier than I thought. I know. I, I thought know. it was late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, right, me too. I was, was going to be for 87, 88. Yeah. I looked at this too, actually. I was thinking about doing it just to be different. Hmm. <laughs> Surprise. It's, I'm old. So, hmm. um, But so that was my pick. Again, through that same lens of what was the world experiencing at that time. And I think... I think the F40 and the 959 and Countach and everything else, those are a little bit more worldwide. You're going to be able to, it's a little bit more universal. You know, someone from Europe or some rich person from Asia would know what those cars are that you're yeah. talking about. So I think you guys might have the more universal ones. I came from, you know, the tail end of things I can remember, which were a bunch of 80s minivans in the early 90s. Um, and the the reality of cars at the time was that there were a ton of minivans. <laughs> yes. yes. And it yes, started yes. that minivan thing that then moved on to the Ford Aerostar, the Pontiac Montana. Yeah. <laughs> Things of that nature. Totally. Yeah. So that's my pitch. I, I mean, I even I don't really want that to be the answer, but it was what I came up with. I would almost... I would put that at least in the top two. And, like, I would... Andrew, as, as good as that car was... Again, you were 100% right about everything you said. But if you're talking about, like, recognizing a car from a decade... Mm -hmm. People could look at that and think it's a 911. They wouldn't even know it's a 959. Possibly. The, possibly. Yeah. Right? It's subtle. Yes. Like, all German cars... Like, a Dodge Caravan, was, I mean, it wasn't flashy by any means, but it but was something say, different. And it, I know what that is. You know what that is. <laughs> and it's same, not subtle. It's not subtle. <laughs> same, it's a box. Same with the, same with the Countach. Like, as far as, like, recognizing a, something easily, like, we, you talked about, like, you could draw the silhouette of a Bel Air yes. and use the top half and everyone would get it. Mm -hmm. People wouldn't get it with the 959. They'd sure. definitely get it with a Caravan. I feel like you could almost <laughs> take any quarter of a Caravan and people would recognize it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just draw a right angle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> door shape, though. Yeah. I mean, like that van door shape. Yeah. Man, but that's such a bummer for the 80s. I know, but the 80s were not great. Everyone thinks they were. And it was and it was for a few people. No, people, I, you know, well, I really don't You know, think I people, guess it was. Like, it was not bad. I don't think they think it was great. I think they think it's funny. It's funny. I think it's funny, and the economy was okay. The what? The economy was okay. Oh, the economy was okay. I, yeah. I thought you said something about commies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the commies were okay. I mean, those, those two. <laughs> the um, Lada. <laughs> the occasional gas. Indeed. I, uh, man, I just don't want it to be a van. Me neither. I am 100% with you. I don't want to win this one. <laughs> I'd vote for the Countach then. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I got one. Just because it's, yeah, no, it's too much. No, we can't, no, we can't do vans. Okay. <laughs> Let's not do vans. I'm okay with it. It's not vans. Like I said, it was just a hypothesis based on my research. Yeah. 90s. 90s. I'm going to go first on this one. The era Please. of stupid band names and... Yeah. Um, the internet? For me, in the 90s, it was actually the fourth generation Ford Taurus. Ew. Is Again, that the one with the big bubbly eyes? Um, it is... That was one before that. One before that. 
It was the one where it had the the, the alternative was the Mercury Sable. Yes. yes. It had the yep. white all the way across the front. Yep. Ugh. Um, Ugh. Ugh. Why? <laughs> Ugh. Because it was again. I don't choose things I like. I'm choosing things that are a very real fact yeah, of but, life. Yeah, but it's gross to pick that. <laughs> <laughs> it was front front, only offered in V6. Yes. Did come with a station wagon, and I have personal memories of sitting in a station wagon, one of those. And it actually did have the rear facing seats, the station yes, wagon. Yes, it did. It did. Totally cool. Um, you know, it was. It was just. That that car that started to be modern, I feel like. What? <laughs> I, 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 wait, he might be saying something. Continue. Yes. <laughs> Say so more. It, it was the first car that, like, safety became important. Side curtain airbags introduced. The first car in the United States had side curtain airbags. Okay. Things like that. Um, what year did they introduce side curtain airbags in that car? It was this. It was the when the second generation came out, so it was '95. Oh shit! I would have thought it'd been later. Okay. So, um, you know, first with, first with the, you know, side curtain airbags. Um, you know, it actually has a very solid motorsports background. No. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it was the second generation SHO, and you know, Multimatic was that's where they got their big start. Was they ran one of these in um, One Lap of America? So in what? One Lap of America. Don't say it again. Explain it. <laughs> it's a. Do they do One Lap of it's, America? It's it's cross country. It's a road rally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but um, did they do any real motorsports? Um, just had the body in NASCAR. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably the, the that. body in NASCAR. Um, All right. But then, God, that's clear. Or was that the Thunderbird? No, it was definitely the Taurus for a while. I, I remember it well, clearly. It, but I I remember it as like the bubbly eyed Taurus, like in the late. I don't know if it was the, uh, if it was Taurus before that or Thunderbird. You're probably right. And but you know the drivetrain in the SHO was carried over from the first generation. Um. But then had all the new stuff on it. Yeah, you know, it was again. It was just this is where the Taurus, until unseated by my perennial non-choice, the Camry. Um, <laughs> uh, this is where the Taurus started its reign as best-selling car in the United States. That's true. A and very actually, long time. I didn't know that that was a thing. Right? Yeah, people were really be buying those. Yeah, and they were mad when the Camry took over. I believe that. So well, buy more. Don't get mad. Just go right? buy more Taurus. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so again, not great, but emblematic of the '90s, especially the '90s in America. I it wonder is. if I put this out, if I start putting like albums up on Facebook for episodes and start showing cars and don't caption them, like how easy would it be for people to pick up Tristan's? I think well, in this one, it's really easy. But he's kind of weird, though. Because so it, it's always that second guess thing, right? Because yep. he picks weird stuff sometimes. Nick, you go next. Um, for me, please beat the tour. I, th I think I would beat the Taurus with my pick. Um, for me, when I um, think of the 90s, um, you had mentioned, you know, in the 70s, the Corolla, and the, that's when the Japanese cars started make, kind of infiltrating, if you will, and just ending up in household after household. I think um, the, the 90s was when they started bringing over the sporty stuff. They started yes. bringing in the Supra, 
the legendary original Supra, the, the Nissan is a 370? 350 came later. Three, uh, uh, it would have been the 240 10th anniversary, I think, was in the 90s. But Yeah. Um, 270Z, 280. 270, that was it, not 370, my fault. So the Nissan, the Supra, and for me, the one that takes the cake, my pick, uh, is the Acura NSX. The original NSX. Um, the original, what do you want to call it, everyman sports car? Yeah, the, the <laughs> not poor man's, but regular man's regular Ferrari. Ma regular man's Ferrari. <laughs> De decently well-off man's Ferrari. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Middle, middle management Ferrari. Yeah. We just saw, well, the, they had an Acura Corral at the SRO. Right, and They were uh, like the only people there besides us. Yeah. That was, car. I it's just amazing. Some, I just forget sometimes. It looks. It's so amazing. Oh, if you guys gorgeous. haven't, if you guys haven't seen it when they were first bringing it out, it's, it's on YouTube now. Um, Ayrton Senna was lapping one of those at Suzuka. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've seen that. Yes, I've seen that as well. Oh, just sublime. I think that there was like some weird like Gran Turismo tie-in for that at the time, maybe or something, or, or th maybe that came later. Anyways, Anyways, I mean, I think that's also when. I mean, obviously, Fast and the Furious blew it out of the water, and that was in the next decade. But that's when the tuner culture kind of started to take hold. I believe was the original Need for Speed in the in the late '90s, and yes. the original Gran Turismo was the late '90s. So, um, you know, that culture was really starting to take hold, and I think the embodiment of that was the Acura NSX. That is my pick. I did. I do have the NSX on this list, and a bunch of other '90s hits, Supra. Miata, and then uh, I have Miata, yeah. But I have reasonable choices on there too. The F one, yeah, the McLaren F one. He says reasonable choices. <laughs> the million dollar car. The million dollar car that changed the way you look at hypercars. That invented the hypercar. That's true. I would. Let's call it a reasonable choice, though. That's, well, of course that's it all. <laughs> um, also, the Prius came out in the nineties. The Rav four came out in the nineties. But I want to pick. With my balls. I don't want to pick any of those cars. <laughs> I want to pick with my chutzpah. So I'm going to pick a car that cannot possibly win and has absolutely no choice. Has no That's choice. what I did. <laughs> no. You picked rationally. I'm picking purely on the, the heat of my love for it. The CLK GTR. Oh. That... that Mercedes homologation nightmare, which they only made the minimum required amount, whatever is like 12 or something like that. That's the one that would spontaneously do backflips on the racetrack. That is the one that do backflips on the racetrack. It was just a Mercedes face on a prototype body. Yep. I mean, that's, I would say that is arguably the angriest car Mercedes has ever made. And it, it would spontaneously do backflips. Yes, it's very really angry. Yes. <laughs> it's just... For some reason, I don't even know why. I don't even know what game it would have been in that I would have played in the 90s. Probably like a Need for Speed game. Maybe like Hot Pursuit 2 something. I, that car sticks out of my memory. Maybe it's just the down to the design. It sticks out of my memory more than any other car of that decade. It's weird to me because it almost feels like it's in the wrong one. Mm -hmm. it, to me, it almost feels like an 80s car. It would, have been, it would have been right at home with the F40 and the Countach and the 959. Yeah. Toe-to-toe -to -toe with those, which but shows with, you how ahead those ones were. Also, but, but with moderate styling tweaks, say just a tiny different, a little bit different face, 
Would you blink at that car in a lineup with like any Koenig's eggs? Any or any McLaren. Or any McLaren ever. No. You really wouldn't. No. No, no I think that's I think that's fair. Like I said, um, it, it has no chance of winning. I totally recognize that. I just want people to know that I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> they know. They know that too. <laughs> well, so who, who well, what do you vote? Mine's not winning. Okay. So, um, and Tristan doesn't think his is, so that just kind of leaves the NSX. So we have Taurus and we have NSX. <sighs> I I think you picked the wrong Taurus. When did the when did the what the fifth gen come out? Um. Yeah. There was. A... When did that come out? Hold on. That one I didn't get that far because, because that's seven or ninety eight. Because that could if that came out in the nineties and not like two thousand. I think that could sway my vote simply because at that point, there's there's just too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I I guess, but it it was it was completely redesigned from the ground up, but used all the same mechanicals and everything else. Like the that's why I went with that one, the birth of the the Taurus, and all of its other friends, which include the Ford Windstar. Same platform. <laughs> okay, so the Bubble I one came out in '96, so it's the Taurus. Yeah, I mean, it's you could say you could say it's the you know, <laughs> the second or third generation Taurus. Yeah, you know, whatever you want, but I think that that was, you know, the second generation one into the end of the third generation one. A Taurus was the car of one part or the other of the '90s. Yeah, and I think uh, I mean, if if you are a child of this decade and didn't ride in a Taurus. Who are you? <laughs> yeah, then you're not of this decade, I guess. Or, yeah. or someone lied. I did not ride. In you never rode in a Taurus, never in a Mercury Sable, at any point. Ford Windstar. Your parents never rented a car in the 90s. I never rode in a... Nope. I don't believe you. I just don't. To be don't. fair, the oldest he could have been was 13. But they're literally Maybe ubiquitous. <laughs> they're ubiquitous. Even when you look at them now, oh, I know the problem. His what? dad told him that if he um, got in a car with a blue oval on it, he'd burst into flames. That's probably and what he I never did. I, I was a G, in a GM family, <laughs> and my best friend was an Audi VW family. And you so, never went anywhere. <laughs> I, I didn't say I didn't see them. I said I didn't ride in them. They were all over the place around me. But that was—I mean—that's that was like. I feel like if you went to any rental car lot in the nineties, it was the only thing they had. Yeah. The only thing. It's funny that you mentioned that. Um, the I'm looking to I'm looking to double check because it was they were they were just everywhere. I, I'm trying. I'm thinking now. Thinking back to my growing up neighborhood. Uh, neighbors on both sides had Tauruses. Yep. Down the street. Yep. I mean, every color. A lot of the dark green. Remember they made like oh, the dark green? Oh, the forest tons green. Yeah, tons forest of Forest green Tauruses all over the place. I think our neighbor had their, um, it was the, was the wagon also called the Sable, which would have been the generation after. Yep. Uh, they had that until, I swear, like three years ago, somehow. <laughs> I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> but, do you really never rode in a Taurus? I, d I honestly don't remember. If I did... I have zero recollection. Oh, of I don't think you would remember it necessarily. The only reason I remember is because they they had the uh, you know the suicide seats in the back. Yeah, that was dope. That's why I remember it. 
Did you find you looking? Yeah, see, I would remember yeah, I did. lighting in it's, a uh, suicide seat. Because yeah. what I because what I remember at the time was, and, and it turns out that it's entirely cosmetic and not mechanical in any way. Um, but that the you know I kept being told by my eyes and my and my dad <laughs> that the Ford Mondeo that we rented when we were in England was just a Ford Taurus, and it was, and also entirely wasn't. If you, yeah. if you look at the the Mondeo and the Taurus of that time, the design language is identical, and the cars look the same and are built on an entirely different platform. <laughs> yeah. So I was, you know, at least at the very least, that Taurus informed Ford's design language yeah. for the world at that time. Kind of like Ford Europe is now informing Ford's design language for everybody else now. Right. So. Well, I think it's probably because of the Mondeo. Anyways, it's the Taurus. Taurus wins two thousands. I think there's only one pick. Turn of the Millennium. Go for it. Veyron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, because, in my opinion, what we get into in the 2000s... Now, are, the only clarification I had was, are we considering, even though we're near the end of the 2010s, are we counting everything from the 2000s to now as one because we're not technically done with this decade? Yet? I split or... it simply because we've had nine years and we have, it's, what, uh, two months ago? Yeah, we're almost there. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I did as well. and I Because yeah, I, I have one for the next one. Yep. Um, right, right. But, yeah, for, for, for me, this, much like the 70s, the early 2000s were difficult mm-hmm. because more of what you said for the 60s was just spoiled for choice. Like, yes. There almost wasn't an iconic car. Because it was like everything, <laughs> you know. Um, yo, yeah, okay. If they're all iconic, everybody, are every, everybody's driving mm. Corollas and Camrys. Right. It was the real rise of the CUV crossover thing. True. Really took off in the early two thousands. But then you've got huge leaps in engineering. And yeah, that's the thing. It's kind of the decade. Like, by 2007, basically any car you would go and buy is good. Yes. Yeah. Which is really the first time you could That's ever say that. that. Yeah. yeah. There's no yeah. Bad, objectively bad car after yeah. mid-2000s. Yeah, no, matter, no matter what you go, even now, we, there are cars we hate, there are cars we like, whatever, features, brands, doesn't matter. If you go and buy a new car ever since, you know, ever since 07, it's going to be good. They're fine. Yeah. You're going to go 100,000 miles easily. It's going to mostly function for that entire time. It's going to be more or less of a repair bill. Yes. And that's about it. Yep. They all go 100 miles an hour and... Most of them can survive a crash at 100 miles an hour. Right, right. Uh, exactly. Most. exactly. Most. Most. And your passenger will probably live too. Probably, yeah. Um, you know, but that is <laughs> that's something. A great pitch. But that's something that could not be said until very recently. Yeah, and that's why it was difficult for me to choose the 2000s car, um, and it just ended up being the um, Ford Fusion. Yeah. Yeah. So you went from the Taurus to the Fusion. Which is the same thing. It's the same car. Yes. And that's why I was just like, nope, I don't like yours. Because I didn't even want to bring mine up. Because I thought it was kind of a turning point for design in American cars. 
Yes. Um, it's, it's the European ship, basically. Yeah, and I think that you see that a lot with then following suit cars from Chevy. That's when you start to get the first good-looking Malibus and a bunch of other stuff. And yep. I think that, that that shift from Ford was what grabbed the American car companies by the nose and said, you got to go this way. Because they sold 10 million of those redesigned fusions and then never bothered updating it. Whatever. Yeah. Which again, that again. That's what that's what ha- that's what you think about in the 2010s. Yes. Is that they didn't update the 2000s ones. Never bothered. So, yeah. Right. So the Veyron was my honorable mention, but I went a different direction here. I'm okay with the Veyron winning, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, but in the 2000s, yes, the CUVs really started to take off, but the SUV was already there. Yeah, the yeah. SUV was the thing—the Explorer, the Excursion, the Tahoe, the Suburban, the Blazer, the Trailblazer, the uh, Jimmy, Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> like everybody had SUVs that were okay. I mean, the, the Excursion, the Escalade were pretty luxurious. They were huge. They're they're huge. <laughs> yeah, and they're you know comfort and luxury, plush leather, all that kind of stuff. But Porsche. Entered the fray mm-hmm. with the Cayenne, and they went out and said, "Not only can we make, not only are we going to get in the SUV game, but we're going to make an SUV that is luxurious, also performs, mm-hmm. is fun, is it's subtle. Like the, I mean, nine five nine was different, but Porsche, well, with, yeah. por- Porsche with the Cayenne led that charge. Now every luxury or performance brand outside of Ferrari, who's close to getting one, has their own SUV, and Porsche led that charge. But the the first generation KN is as subtle as getting stabbed with a dirty fork. It's not that subtle. While being screamed at. <laughs> yeah, it's really not that subtle at all. They didn't Compared tone, to a Veyron? They didn't tone it down until like the third generation. There's nothing about the Veyron that ever was even... Intended to be subtle. It never even leaned at looking subtle. No, no. no. Like a Countach. Like it just, yeah. Yeah. So my pick was the Porsche Cayenne because of SUV culture, and they went out and they made one that is not just there. It's something besides that. It's luxurious, and it's powerful, and it can handle. It can do all of those other things. I'll actually put another one out on the table simply because you mentioned it, and I considered it, and then no one brought it up. I was counting on someone else to bring it up, so I just didn't even bother. But you mentioned the Escalade, and I think that has to be brought into this conversation as well, if only because... It's an interesting example of car culture feeding popular culture, feeding itself back into car culture. Mm-hmm. Because that was, I mean, like golden age of rap, you couldn't hear a song without the word Escalade in it. No one wouldn't see a music video. You couldn't see anything without an Escalade in it. And as much as no one likes to talk about this, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you cannot get a white suburban housewife to like... Anything in a rap video except an Escalade. True. The cross demographic appeal was immense. Huge. Yes. And I mean, I think we can say pretty safely that Cadillac's just been living off that even until now because they don't do anything else, not well. Also, did you guys see the the horsepower figures on the, the final horsepower figures on the. ATS or whatever it is now, the V, no. the new V thing. Mm. It looks just so pitiful. Anyways, um, no one brought it up except for Nick in the middle of his nomination of a different car. 
I love the Veyron simply because it doesn't even need to be talked about. You just say the name, people know it. But in terms of overall impact, yeah, no, I, the Escalade really... You know, I, I agree. And because it was one of, aside from a very few, like the Land Rover and the yeah. Range Rover in particular, it was one of those very few vehicles that was like, hey, an SUV can be luxurious. Because mm-hmm. like, excursions and stuff were nice because... They were meant to be sat in and potentially driven quite a very long way. Yes. Um, so they were comfortable. They were nice. But it was not like wood grain, cooled and heated leather seats, mm-hmm. chrome accents everywhere. So many chrome you know, accents. Like, I'm just picturing that grill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the just, monolith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that it was, it was maybe, I would have to look at the order of operations here. But I think it might have even been the Escalade proving that luxury SUVs were appealing, that Porsche said, we make luxury sports cars. Let's make a luxury SUV. And they made, they made luxury one sports significantly SUV. smaller. Right. But, yeah. you know, but, but, yeah. but that's, again, when you, know, when you compare an A8 to a 911. Right. right, you know, right. It's like, or even an A6, S6. You know, it's like, how can we make a luxury sport version of the luxury car? But I really don't think... I, I can't have hurt, right? No. Simply because that it worked for so long. It got people wanting to buy expensive SUVs. Yeah. Because the, the, the Range Rover's been around for a very long time. Well, not as long as I think, but um, you know, it was luxurious for a while before the Escalade was a thing. Yeah. Um, but then the Escalade was like, boom, luxury SUV. Everywhere. And then and then they were everywhere from every manufacturer. And so I I think that that's something that we, I, we didn't think about until the discussion brought it out. But I, I, think say, I think we I think we all got it wrong. I think that's a yeah, way. We, I think that's a way to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 I think yeah. I think Sometimes that it takes it. the three brains working together. <laughs> so yeah, the Escalade will win. Yeah, the two thousand. Yeah, uh, first one came out in uh, ninety nine. If anyone's curious. Okay. So, yeah. But, I mean... Yeah. 2000s. This Wikipedia article is long. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> and now we're here. That brings us to the current decade, the 2010s. There's some interesting stuff that came out. But... Someone else, someone else go first. Someone else go first. <laughs> I haven't gone first this entire time, so I'll, st- I'll go first here. Um, because everyone's gonna be disappointed in my pick. So, I was kind of disappointed in my own pick, but I think <laughs> this one, this one fits best for this decade. Um, this is a decade where there's a lot of people kind of waking up to certain things. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a younger generation that is realizing that, hey, <laughs> shit's getting kind of fucked up. Shit. Do you pick the same car? I did. I think. <laughs> I, I think so. I th- I can tell by your look. I I think we know. Um. You know, climate change, fuel efficiency, all those things. Just, just say Tesla it. Model S. Uh huh. That's my pick too. <laughs> Tristan. Yeah. Was it your pick too? It was. Yeah. How can how can you not? Honestly. Yeah. How can you not? I think it's we a lot of previously we've talked about sales figures and everything else along with cultural impact and reflection of the national and in some cases international psyche at the time mm-hmm. um i think the only reason sadly because i 
just simply refuse to buy one. Um, the only reason that there are not a zillion more Teslas on the road is they can't make them fast enough. I, I think the reason is slightly more systemic than that, but for me, even if... It's certainly one of the reasons, at least. But even if you remove as much of the troubled wrapping of the company as you can, even if you view the Model S as only a proof of concept, it's still the, it still will be, I believe, in 10 years, 20 years from now, the car that's most emblematic of this first wave, even if Tesla fails, right? Oh, totally. It, it, yeah, none of that will even matter. The most emblematic, the most emblematic quintessential car of the twenty twenties could be some. That could be the Volkswagen ID three or whatever. Yeah, or whatever. You know, like you know. But when people think electric car, they're going to think. Especially Tesla the first. birth of the electric car. I mean, we've already lost that fight. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Oh yeah. As much as we shit on the company and old Uncle Elon, like I, I don't think. Obviously, we all, it's unanimous. There's no argument to yep. it. Yeah, I think there were some others that floated through my head as honorable mentions for the 2010s, just because I think in a lot of different ways, cars accomplished a similar thing. They kind of grabbed the grabbed the mindset of especially America. Um, but, you know, they didn't hit as hard as the Model S. What were some of your other... Because I, honestly, I didn't even consider any other cars. Nope, me neither. I, I, I did only because I didn't want to consider the Model S. So I, so I kept looking. <laughs> uh, what did you find? Honestly, to be a little self-serving, the Outback. Hmm. Because okay. I think it was, it was this push towards... You moved from the giant earth-stomping SUVs of the early 2000s. Yeah. To the realization that there wasn't really an electric car that would, you know, take you reliably out into the middle of nowhere to pursue your green and outdoor pursuits. Yeah. So there was this shift towards actually back to a smaller, um, you know, smaller, more efficient crossover vehicle. Mm -hmm. And I think based on just the fact that I see one around... Every parking lot, at every least. corner, if if not if not mm -hmm. more than one, um, I think that that the Outback was the first of those that really grabbed people. Yeah, definitely. And, and it it actually went up in size from its previous generation, but it went down in size from a lot of the things around it. Right. And with the CVT, especially once they put that in, it's it was very efficient. Um, they produce them in that plant in Indiana that has no zero landfill and huge solar panels like if you're going to be making an internal combustion engine car strictly not a hybrid mm -hmm. not an electric car that's about all the technology and thoughtfulness you can cram into one of those cars yeah and still have it be just a regular gas car with a lot of capability and you know people latched on to that kind of cuddlier side of subaru <laughs> you know, and well, and it, I mean, it is the benchmark and the trendsetter as well. I mentioned it in yeah. that in the article I wrote about the the Toyota Venza. Yeah, it's chased after, lost to Toyota, the company you know mass produce and all the all the all the hubbub because they had the Prius at the time too, so they were the green company, right? Yeah. And then Toyota came back the next year with the redesigned Outback, which was a CVT, which was smaller, and just blew Toyota out of the water in that class so badly they haven't even been back yeah so 
that was something I thought, like, it's on our lunch, it's not what I'm choosing, but something, that was something I thought about, um, some of the, like we were discussing the, you know, the Countach and the F40 and all those, I'm starting to think of some of the crazier electric hypercars that are coming out. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I think all of those owe their genesis to the Model S. So I don't think if there was that push for the, from the Model S to do, you know, ludicrous mode and all this stuff, nobody would have thought of electric cars in that way. Sure. So I think people would have kept making, you know, Regeras instead. Right. Yeah. Right, right, you right. know. Right. So I think so. I was like, ah, she's got to go back. What does all boil down to? Still the Model S. Yep. You know, that's why I went with it. But there were a couple others. So you know the, you know the Rivian, not uh, the not the Rivian, the uh, it's the one yeah. that Mr. Hammond crashed. Rimac. Yep. Rimac. Yes. Yeah. Oh, um, God. The uh, you know the Rimac um, was in there because of that. Um, you know, all sorts of stuff like that floated through my mind, but it all boiled back to the Model S. Yeah. Yep. It was the Model <laughs> S. I was, just, I was looking for any glimmer of hope simply because, no. It, it, it's really fun to be mean about the Model S simply because you, you think of the impact that that car has already had, just like Tristan talked about, and you... I think we can all realize, we obviously can all realize that no matter what else happens, that is going to be the car that's held up as the start of something completely original, mm-hmm. even only, like I said, as a proof of concept. Yeah. And yet, it's so troubled by a benightedly pig-headed CEO yep. who cannot Get out take of his, own, his own dick out of his own ass for five seconds just to do some business for once. Imagine what that company would be like in the hands of someone more connected to the realms of reality. Yeah, Just imagine then, that. Yeah, and, and you fight because there's always you know butterfly effect. Like if it was someone different, would it have been able to accomplish what it accomplished despite his abrasiveness? Did in that in some way make it happen? And I don't know. Right, right, you know, right. And it, I'm not saying yes or no to that. Like I think you know, like we always, it always gets compared to Apple, and I really do think Apple without Steve Jobs is gone. Mm-hmm. I think Tesla without Elon Musk is different, but, it's not but gone. I don't know if it's gone, it, and I don't know if it might be, very well could be better. I, I I think it would be better, but I don't know. There's definitely there's definitely a point, right? Yeah. yeah. Because the other the only other car that I considered, it, well, I actually considered it for the previous decades. It was uh, 08 when the Tesla Roadster came out. Yeah. And that was, I mean, it's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not really anything and so you kind of wonder where on the spectrum or on the timeline between roadster and s would have been the ideal time to get elon out right exactly (laughs) yeah when did he bring in enough of the idea and enough of the push that it it had been tipped over and was going to happen yeah and he wouldn't then get in the way and kick the pad out from underneath it as it landed you know right and that's kind of just what's been happening ever since and there just has to be i always think this will be the tweet this gets them yeah and i don't know i don't know what kind of parachute clause he's got written into his contract yikes uh the other the other thing that makes it so hard is that we don't know we can't know the 
if the engineers of Tesla, who are in no way connected to Elon Musk, right, I feel that they would have been as driven to go from the Roadster. Because remember, Elon didn't actually found this company. Nope, no. To go he, from he the, claims he did right to go from the Roadster to the next thing. Whether it would have been maybe they would have started smaller, maybe they would have started bigger. Right. But there's there's I feel like it's one continuous line of effort from a team of engineers or a dedicated engineering visionary behind the scenes. Like, I don't know much about the company. It's just you you think that that and that doesn't have anything to do with the guy who's the public face. No, that's just what we, they were doing. And we that's we mentioned that on the. On the first loaf episode, I, yeah. I brought that up. Like, I almost feel bad for those people because there's some brilliant people in that in that yeah, building. And that, that's why we're doing incredible things mm -hmm. that aren't getting the credit they deserve because the guy who's leading the whole show and is the face of the company is a dickhead. Mm -hmm. And that's why I always that's why I always preface when I talk about never wanting to buy a Tesla with the phrase "unfortunately" or "sadly" <laughs> or whatever because they are out there really trying their best to build great cars and mm -hmm. for to the to the greatest extent they do, there are weird things that happen, like they burn out their flash memory and brick themselves. Whoops. That's the latest thing. I um, did read about that. But but that's like yeah. a, you know, that's still early times. Those are like the early Model S's. And you can't even really, you can't really even blame Tesla for that, in my opinion, simply because they're designing their own chips. They're going to be working with memory manufacturing. Mean, there's only like yeah. five memory manufacturers on the face of the whole earth. Yeah. And they each deal in only one of two kinds of volatile flash memory. If you happen to pick the wrong one for your application, it's going to burn out, but you won't know about that. Yeah. Later. And apparently this time around, not to get too computer nerdy, it was just stupidly verbose logging the slash var. Gotcha. And that didn't need to happen. Okay. So it is Tesla's fault in this case. They burned out their flash memory because they broke bad code. I, I didn't even read yeah. it. I just assumed simply because we've gone in the well, like, yeah. No one yeah. gives a shit. No. Uh, but, but you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, so you know, unfortunately I don't ever want to buy a Tesla, which might change if Elon Musk leaves. Yeah. You know, so it's a temporary never. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Never yeah. Rary. yeah. But but yeah, so you know, I think that we're gonna see this as Something that, like we talked about with the Corolla, even, this one type of vehicle, this one individual vehicle that kick off, kicks off this invasion of, you know, all sorts of stuff from every country, every manufacturer within the United States, outside the United States, coming from Asia, Europe, everywhere. Um, and I think that that's going to be that, that opened the door. As long as I can figure out where the batteries are coming from. Right. And, and I think electric cars are not necessarily tied to lithium-ion batteries. True. So. At the moment they are. Right. But, but not forever. Right. Yeah. That's it. What better way to end it on a unanimous vote? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's the way to wrap Open it up. Open and close. I said Open we started on a unanimous vote with a 57 Chevy. We so. were pros pro at this point. <laughs> totally. We had a little intrigue with some debate in the middle, but in reality, yeah, we're on the same wavelength. Open, close. Same stuff. Yep. Let's get on out of here. Who are we thanking before we leave? I'd just like to thank Elon. No, just kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> Please stop. Find me something to throw. <laughs> There's stuff all around you. Get it with his own cup. <laughs> um, ah, man, who do I want to thank this week? Um, I just want to thank the people at the place I work now. I mean, it's so 
great to have people who give a shit about who you are as a person. <laughs> it's so nice to have that in a workplace. That, yeah. And I've never really, it's not that I haven't had that ever. It's just been so long. And so rare. And so yeah. rare. I believe I made the same thinking a few episodes back. Yeah. About, you know, mm-hmm. letting me have a life. Thank you, work. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I can get behind that. Thank you. Nick? Um, I'm actually going to substitute a thank you with a, with an awareness uh, PSA. You can't see me right now. My two co-hosts can. I'm proudly su- sporting the, uh, the pink ribbon for uh, breast cancer awareness here in the month of October um, in support of uh, my mom, who is a recent survivor, and anyone else who's been afflicted and survived or is still battling it. Um, just... Go get checked. Go have your regular checkups. The reason why my mom came out of it as well as she did is because they caught it early. It was a routine checkup. They saw something that was a little out of the ordinary and they looked into it and they got right on top of it. They didn't find out too late. So folks, don't take for granted those routine checkups. And know your history. And know your history. Know your family's history. And as part of that know your history... um, it is for everyone. Yeah, true story. We, we think about women during Breast Cancer Month, and obviously the most impacted, men also die of breast cancer. And it's not just breast cancer, so, it's any type of cancer. It's, yeah. It should be just cancer awareness, really. Yep. But um, Everybody gets their own month. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's mad yeah. other cancer awareness months. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, everybody, this is, this is real. It impacts almost every family I've ever met. Mm-hmm. So... Yep. Yeah. So... Shout out to everyone um, who is fighting it. Stay strong. You got it. You'll, you'll, you'll get through. Mm-hmm. And again, just don't take those routine checkups for granted. Go make, just go do it. You never know what they're going to find. I don't mean to scare you, but it's better to catch it early. And I know from experience. So yep. I, uh, I'd like to, to make my thank you and add on to Nick. Um, so many of the people I know have survived for two reasons. Their own grit, their own determination, their own willingness to get this taken care of. Um, and on the flip side, uh, a simple army of people who support them, everybody from their families to the tireless efforts of medical professionals, everything from oncologists to the, yep. the nurses that give you your chemo to the nurses that take care of you after surgery. Um, yeah, I think that we have a lot of anger at the u.s medical system right now um (laughs) but know that the medical professionals in it the doctors the nurses the pas they are there to make you better and some of them may succeed some of them may not succeed but know that they're there for you and between your fight your willingness to go get things checked out and their willingness to try to help you things can work out Mm mm-hmm there you have it. That uh, just about does it for us this week. Um, thank you for sticking with us all the way through. Um, but we don't want you just to listen, okay? We want to hear from you. We still need questions for our listener question episode. I'm waiting. We're all still <laughs> waiting. So you can start doing that by reaching out through our website, checkenginepodcast.com. We have an email inbox there, creatively titled inbox at checkenginepodcast.com. Uh, the website can also link you to our socials. We have Facebook at Check Engine Podcast um, 
Andrew, we're on Twitter. Where? We are at Check Engine Pod, and you can see me getting flamed for making fun of a local news station. Uh-oh, I missed that one. I'll check on you. <laughs> there's uh, there some uh, some retweet I saw of like um, some new station was like, oh, this local family found their basement had four inches of blood in it, and then the, a local uh, their uh, sewer backed up, and there was a slaughterhouse nearby, so there was some blood in it, but their basement was mostly filled with shit that had some blood in it. What? Which of those two is worse to you? Is it the poop or is it a little bit of cow blood? <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's the poop. Yes, so much the poop. But as a local news station, what's going to get the headline and the clicks? Yeah, no, I, I totally I don't know. get, poop I, totally blood. get I don't know, poop. Uh, yeah. For me. I, I, Definitely. Blood I, on Halloween, get original. That's a really good point. Fuck you, news station. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you don't need to go to Twitter now because you just heard the, the beef. That's right, that was the whole thing. The beef. <laughs> no. Cow blood. Anyway. I know. Anyway. Tristan, we're on Instagram, aren't we? Yeah, somewhere. Aren't Check we? Engine Pod. <laughs> Don't do it again. I know. I, that was, I was trying to scare him. Um, if you're really into what we're doing, folks, we do have um, ways you can reach out and support us financially. We thank you a million times in advance. Um, you can go right to our homepage at Anchor, anchor.fm slash Check Engine Podcast, and click the support button. Or we also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Check Engine Podcast. If you don't want to give us cash, we're okay with that, but please at least either A, subscribe, or B, give us a review. Um, both are very important when it comes to podcast searches and all the algorithms. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything. You just know when we're coming out with new stuff. You just get notified. So it doesn't really hurt anybody. It helps us. We appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. Even if we suck, you are all awesome. So we cannot wait to talk to you again. Until next time, take care. Thank you.